Hello and welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, episode 94, if you can even believe it. The most exciting show on the internet, Facebook, that I host. A net bad for society, coming at you from Kurt Anderson, Yahoo Finance, Facebook, Twitter, Dismantle, Global Array of Disinformation Networks. Twitter said it had to temporarily lock Trump's account after he shared a columnist's email address, violating the company's policies. Oh, geez. Big Veg Twitter is the last corner of the internet that is wholesome and good. I figured we needed some of that in our lives. Google wants to turn YouTube into QVC with new shopping feature, Gross. TechCrunch article, YouTube premium subscribers get a new perk with launch of testing program. And uh, last but not least, a dense article, Google adds intros, automated insights, performance max campaigns to release video action out of beta for my marketing nerds. Where are you at? Uh, yeah, 94th episode. We're super stoked. And uh, the rumor on the street is it begins right now. All right, apologies for being out yesterday. I uh, had some work I had to catch up on today on the live show, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Uh, we're going to talk about Facebook. Net bad for society, huh, Kurt Anderson? You think so? The push to break up the tech giants Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple took a major step forward on Tuesday when a recommendation of that approach featured prominently in a 449-page report from Democratic members of a House subcommittee Oh, man. Nothing says fun like a House subcommittee, am I right? Tasked with investigating the companies, the report warned of monopoly power wielded by each of the firms, citing, for instance, the firmly entrenched dominance in social networking held by Facebook's collection of apps and services. Here's the thing. They're right. I don't think you need 449 pages to see that. In a new interview, left-leaning author Kurt Anderson called Facebook a different beast than other tech giants arguing that its problems extend beyond market control. Anderson contends that Facebook's immense platform is causing societal damage and that SEO Mark Zuckerberg has failed to take any worthwhile steps to reduce it. They always got to find the picture of Zuckerberg that is the least flattering possible picture. And they managed to find it right here on the Cisco WebEx, uh, you know, whatever. Here we've got Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg testifying via video conference before the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Antitrust. He has got to be absolutely over that. You know what I mean, Zuckerberg? Can you imagine what it would be like to constantly be testifying in front of Congress? I know that the man makes ridiculous sums of money, but it is also true that uh, that has got to be crazy and stressful and make for sleepless nights. Uh, back to the article. Oh, yeah. All links to all the articles are found right there in the description. Quote, you have the problems of monopoly, which is one set of problems, says Anderson, who made the comments on September 29th prior to the release of the House Probes report. But then, in the case of Facebook, you have a founder and CEO who has made it clear he's unwilling to make any meaningful attempts, really, to figure out how this new incredibly powerful platform will not be worse for society. Ugh. I don't know, man. Do we not have any responsibility as individuals, as people? Do we not as the user of the platform, bear any responsibility at all? Do you, as the Facebook user who's spending six hours, you know, 
eating memes, digesting memes from your political viewpoint over and over and over again, nonstop, constantly, do you not bear any of this responsibility? This is frustrating to me. Uh, I understand that uh, Zuckerberg's platform is filled with all sorts of garbage. And at some point, you as the this to me, I'm reminded of the McDonald's uh, supersize me issue where the documentary says, yeah, McDonald's is making people fat. And I'm like, duh, everyone knows that it's not good for you. It's bad for you. Everyone's aware of this fact. And, uh, you know, before we knew it, they're offering salads and they survived. So I feel like a lot of this Facebook bashing uh, is a way for people to heighten their own profile to get more attention. Um, now, you can show countless examples of uh, hate speech and horrible crap on Facebook that I would 100% agree with you uh, that is garbage and they should take down. I'm not saying they're a perfect entity, but no one ever talks about how if you're on Facebook and it's not good for you, it's, it's like watching 24-hour news constantly. I would argue that's terrible for you as well. I don't care if you're watching MSNBC or Fox. A constant stream of news sucks you out of your like family and friends world and into this weird sort of we're doing everything we possibly can to get you to release fight or flight chemicals in your brain, right? That's the whole point of the news pretty much is to have that chemical uh, reaction. And Facebook's no different. The stuff that's going to get shared is the kind of stuff that's going to elicit a, a biochemical response from your brain. So yeah, we get it. Facebook bad. Ugh, it's irritating. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, dismantle global array of disinformation networks, Reuters.com. So Facebook Inc. and Twitter Inc. said on Thursday that they had taken down more than a dozen disinformation networks used by political and state-backed groups in multiple countries to deceive users on their platform. So yeah, here you have the checks and balances. So on the one hand, you go, Facebook is an absolute dumpster fire of horrific, biased content, much of which is misinformation. And yet we all know this, and yet somehow we don't seem to care. Um, sometimes I watch YouTube videos uh, I shouldn't say we don't seem to care. It's just that the users don't seem to want to uh, educate themselves, research, and just... And look, you can have highly educated people on either side of the spectrum who will come up with these arguments, and then the, when they hear new information, uh, they're somewhat shocked. This happens all the time with both sides because what one side is covering is not what the other side is covering. What the anecdote from one side is not the anecdote from the other side. They often cover very different things. Um, and so yes, Facebook and Twitter dismantling a global, global array of different disinformation networks is not surprising to me at all. Um, not in the least, um, in separate statements, the two companies said they had identified and suspended more than 3,500 accounts between them, which used fake identities and other deceptive behaviors to spread false and misleading information. I feel like now, Twitter and Facebook have to every time they do something like this, which I think before was somewhat of a routine operation, they would just do this regularly. Now they have to, it's a whole PR push. Like, okay, we found more groups and we did good and don't hate us is kind of the vibe. Um, which, you know, I understand why they would do that. Everyone is really turning on these social media companies and yet they use them all the time. Um, is it as bad as like tobacco? No. I would say that, you know, Facebook is probably not 
going to be directly linked to cancer. Although I could be wrong, you know, people watching me in 2050 going, well, it clearly was shown to uh, have a uh, chemical reaction in the brain that caused the uh, lymphatic system to. Um, but uh, from where I'm standing right now, it just really feels like nobody's talking about, you know, I don't know, just turning the stupid thing off. And people, the counter argue that argument to that is like, oh, you wouldn't tell a heroin user just to like stop injecting heroin. That's naive and, and dumb. Yes, I am aware of that. But at a certain point, there are heroin addicts that, that kick it and don't use it anymore. And I would argue that Facebook is probably less addicting than heroin. The network's targeted users in a wide selection of countries, including the United States, where officials have warned that foreign governments are attempting to influence the outcome of November's presidential election. Yes, we get it. This is all about us just, you know, hearing from Facebook and Twitter. Oh, wow. Look at them. They're doing policing the right way. Good for them. So, yes, they are. Can, it, it, to me, this sounds like you ever see those FBI photos where they've got like 20 piles of drugs, 20 piles of drugs. They've got just gigantic stacks of money and arms and stuff. And they go, look how great we are. And they'll pose by the drugs um, and guns they found. This to me is the social media equivalent of that. Good for you, Facebook and Twitter. You did it. Businessinsider.com. Twitter said it had to temporarily lock Trump's account after he shared a columnist's email address violating the company's policies. This is the craziest thing in the world. There used to be TV channels where presidents would go on and they would do their or radio stations, you know, and they would just it, it was kind of like there was no way they were going to get banned. And then I'm sure there's historians, so tell me if I'm wrong. Leave it in the comments. Um, but it just seemed like like presidents and their channel of communication just sort of had a, I don't know, it just would seem weird if like a TV station would ban a presidential communication. That just seems odd to me, right? But not, not in 2020. <laughs> We've got Trump's account being banned because he did apparently share a columnist's email address, which is in violation of the company's policy. So it'd be like, you know, uh, Clinton back in the day, you know, hopping on, you know, the, the live network for TV and then saying something he shouldn't say, or it's like against the rules of, of, of TV at that time. And they just like turn it off. They're like, uh Oh, he's crazy. So the bullet points are Twitter said it locked down president Donald Trump account after he shared the email address of a New York post columnist on the social media site Monday evening. Uh, Trump praised, a column by Miranda Devine in which she applauded the president saying he pushed through his battle with COVID in a second now deleted post. The president tweeted her email address, a move that Twitter confirmed to business insider violated its privacy information policy. So it was all a good thing. So there, there is a difference. And look, if you're this Miranda Devine character, divine, um, you've got to, I don't know if she wanted her email address. I don't know if she approved it. If, Let's say she approved it. Would she be upset? No, probably not. So can someone approve it? Did she not approve it? There are details that we don't know. Uh, Twitter said it prompted him to, to delete the uh, tweet before his account could be unlocked. Wow. So he had to delete it. I mean, that's a lot of power. If Twitter can say, hey, you know, you know, we believe that you violated our policy. Um, and as the president of the United States, you can no longer use Twitter. It's a lot of power in, in Twitter's hands. Now... He violated their accounts and their private company and do what they want. Twitter said it locked the president's uh, account, blah, 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 blah. So I just think it's interesting that this Miranda character um, was saying something nice about him. He says, thank you, Miranda, was over until the plague came from China. 
that's a very Trump thing to say. Um, so yeah, the company's policy, um, is, uh, is that you can't do that. So they made the decision. I get it. I understand it. On to something wholesome. The guardian.com big veg Twitter is the last corner of the internet that is wholesome and good. According to James Colley, passionate growers of absurdly large vegetables offer a soothing respite from social media feeds filled with irony and horror. I'm going to let you in on a little secret, but you have to promise not to ruin it. Okay. All right, James Coley with the jokes. There's still a little corner of the internet that's wholesome and good. There's a place where people aren't at each other's throats every second of the day. Positivity reigns. Smiles abound. You feel better rather than worse for staring at your screen. It's time to talk about Big Veg Twitter. Look at that gourd. Do you see that gourd? I don't know if you're watching on the podcast, you can't see the gourd. It is taller than a man. It is very large. Big Veg Twitter is exactly what it says on the packet. It's a community of passionate growers of absurdly large vegetables sharing photos of their latest, frankly, ungodly creations. In this world, you are judged not by who you know or where you come from, but purely the size of your veg. Wow. Look at these onions. Those are big onions. Imagine a picture of big onions. That's what I'm looking at. It's also a strangely funny place. There aren't jokes per se, or even really banter. The world of big veg is far too serious for that. In fact, I cannot really comprehend what makes big veg Twitter so funny to me, but I think the simplest way I can put it is that these vegetables are wrong. They simply should not be. That is so great. Uh, you got it. You know what? This is what everyone needs. I think from this point forward, when anyone whines about Facebook or Twitter um, causing the apocalypse, I think my response is just big veg. Wow, that's a big cabbage. I think big veg is is really the answer. I think he's right. I'm with James Colley, uh, or Coley, with uh, TheGuardian.com. I think big veg is the antidote to all of our problems on the planet Earth. All right, James, uh, he's right. Uh, if you haven't been to uh, big veg on Twitter, may I highly recommend going there as a way to soothe your aching heart in 2020. Moving on, ArsTechnica.com. Google wants to turn YouTube into QVC with new shopping features. YouTube wants to become an e-commerce player with direct sales on video pages. You know what? We actually do need some counterbalance to Amazon. It's getting a little crazy. YouTube wants to become an e-commerce player. A fresh report from Bloomberg details Google's new plan to squeeze even more revenue out of YouTube, which is already a $15 billion a year business. Google apparently wants to turn YouTube into a shopping destination where viewers can watch things like product unboxings, makeup or cooking videos, and immediately buy featured products directly through YouTube. Uh, my amazing sister, uh, Chelsea Smith, um, has been doing live Facebook and killing it for quite a while with her makeup tutorials and that sort of thing. She uh, started her own business doing exactly that. It is unsurprising to me that YouTube wants to get in on that game. It's a lot of money to be made there. The report says YouTube is currently testing these features with a limited number of video channels, and the goal is to convert YouTube's bounty of videos into a vast catalog of items that viewers can purchase, peruse, click on, and buy directly. That would actually take a dent or take a piece of the pie, rather, from uh, Amazon. And I'm actually for it. If I can, say, for example, be watching a uh, YouTube video on a game, how to learn a certain game, and I can buy the game right there in YouTube, and it's got, uh, you know, one-day shipping, two-day shipping, and it provides some sort of balance to Amazon. I think we are desperately needing that. 
interesting that you've got the Amazon Jeff Bezos of the world, and now you've got YouTube fighting in that particular battle. Facebook, I have not been impressed by their ability to sell product. Not insofar as a video telling you to buy that product, but literally I'm on Facebook, I buy a product. It's never happened, I've never done it. Have you? Have you used Facebook shopping to purchase a product? Not this guy. Uh, for now, this is all a test, but Bloomberg got a YouTube spokesperson to confirm the company is looking into e-commerce options for the site. Google CEO Sundar Pichai is actually uh, actually pitched the idea of YouTube shopping on the company's Q1 2020 earnings. Hey, man, I'm actually for it. Um, as long as I don't have to. You know what I mean? Like, if it's its own section of YouTube and you're aware that they're selling you something, that's one thing. But I could easily see this bleeding into the everyday experience and that driving me absolutely insane. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I finally bit the bullet and got YouTube premium. And let me tell you, it's wonderful. $12 a month to not deal with ads for as much YouTube as I watch. I can't believe I didn't do it before. It is fantastic. No jarring, horrifying ad-like experiences. Uh, no double ads. No clicking away, clicking back. It's just really nice. Um, so I am... Hmm on the fence about this. On, on the one hand, I think it is interesting to be able to check out products, be able to purchase right from the platform, and Amazon does need competition. On the other hand, if it turns into the horrific nightmare that it easily could, I think I would be quite upset about that. YouTube Premium, this from TechCrunch.com. Subscribers get a new perk with launch of testing program. YouTube has long allowed its users to test new features and products before they go live to a wider audience, but in a recent change, YouTube's latest series of experiments are being limited to those who subscribe to the premium tier of YouTube's service. Currently, paid subscribers are the only ones able to test several new product features, including one that allows iOS users to watch YouTube videos directly on the home screen. Who cares? This is not the same thing as a picture-in-picture -picture option that's become available to app developers in iOS. Two other experiments are related to search. One lets you filter topics and search in additional languages, including Spanish, French, or Portuguese. The other lets you use voice search to pull up videos when using the Chrome web browser. I guess that's kind of interesting. Um, use voice search to pull up videos when using Chrome. I should check that out. Now that I have premium and uh, I speak Spanish, so those two features might actually be interesting to me. Um, but, uh, I guess the point of this article is that, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of perks for people that are actually paying YouTube. I think YouTube would way rather you pay them $12 a month than try to serve you infinite number of ads. Um, because they can always bump that 12. They bump, look, they get, you know, hundred million users and they bump it from 12 to $15 a month. Whoo. They just made a lot of money. Um, and the price obviously is only going to go up from here. Uh, last article of the day, a little scared about this one, might get a little dense. Got search engine land, Google ads, intros, automated insights, performance max campaigns to release video action out of beta. What the heck does any of that mean? Ginny Marvin is the author. Google announced um, more automation features and campaign types as part of Advertising Week Tuesday. The announcements speak to what has been a years-long effort to use machine learning to serve campaigns across Google's properties, as well as to the moves it's made in response to the pandemic. Quote, we've now had a chance to take a step back and figure out what some of the long-term trends are, and we either create a new effort or accelerate existing efforts in order to try to play into those trends, according to Jerry Dishler, VP and GM of Google Ads. 
So what are we talking about? In May, in response to quickly shifting consumer behaviors as a result of stay-at-home orders, Google released rising retail categories, a tool that surfaces fast-growing product searches. Well, that's interesting. Building on that, a new insights page in the Google Ads user interface will bring in data from rising retail categories, as well as Google Trends data that is customized to the account. Point being, pajama pants are on fire, that sort of thing. Um, You know, video games are going up quickly, and then you can realize that in your Google Ads account. Advertisers will see currently trending searches, auction insights, as well as interest predictions tailored to their account. So this to me is kind of like looking at uh, the interface for a stock um, buying or selling platform. For example, an outdoor gear retailer may see that tents is a trending term that competitors in the auction are gaining impression share and that skiing is predicted to trend in November. It's also integrating with recommendations shown below. So tents, that sort of stuff, interest in skiing. So better data, more predictive data coming out in Google Ads. Moving on to automated performance max campaigns. Performance Max is Google's newest automated campaign type. We've been working on automation for a long time and COVID really felt like a turning point for a lot of advertisers because when you have a big shock to the system like this and you're operating things manually, the load is so high, you've got to be focused on other things like running your business. So unlike other campaigns, Performance Max runs across all inventory. So... Uh, the Performance Max campaign ads will be eligible to serve on display, YouTube, Gmail, Discover, Search, etc., and are meant to complement standard search campaigns. Search and search partners' ads aren't keyword-based and are served via dynamic search ads. Hi, yeah, yeah. What does this mean? So it's an automated campaign type, and so advertisers will supply copy and an image. Right. So you're writing some words down, you're giving them an image or video, and Google's machine learning systems will automatically serve the ad across those channels, right? So it's just machine learning. So performance max campaigns, new machine learning. The idea is to set up one campaign to reach across all Google owned and operated properties rather than create specialized ads for specific channels. So you're letting the machine do the work. Yeah, good stuff. Well, we're live every 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday, unless, uh, you know, My life happens, so there are little breaks here and there, but pretty much that. Um, In summary, Facebook is a net bad for society, is it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure. I think it would be fair to say that all massive forms of communication at some point um, have caused a lot of harm, right? The major newspapers, all popular books, I would say, going all the way back, have had pluses and minuses um so am i so sure that this time around is any different no i'm not facebook twitter dismantle a global array of disinformation networks yep they are the fbi agents standing by the drug bust they're saying hey look how great we are you know we're not total dumpster fire people um, we do a lot of great work please don't hate us uh twitter has a lot of power over the presidency um i know if you're on the left and you absolutely hate trump um, that you see this and say, yeah, good, great. And perhaps if you're on the right, you go, this is ridiculous that a private, that a company would have this much power. Um, and a million other perspectives, um, on the issue. That being said, um, it, uh, it does surprise me that, uh, the method of communication nowadays 
has as much back and forth between the government of the United States and uh, these private companies. Um, it could be that my understanding of history insofar as presidents and media outlets is just not that strong. Okay. I might be ignorant about certain presidents and their feuds with newspapers and days of old or TV stations. It's entirely possible, but it just strikes me as odd. Um, and uh, Twitter appears to me to have a lot of power, more power than other media outlets have had in the past. And if that is, in fact, a trend, it'll only be heading in that direction uh, more so in the future. Uh, Big Veg Twitter is the antidote to all of your social media woes. Uh, just go to Big Veg Twitter. Just go there. Just spend all of your time there every day. Wake up and go to Big Veg Twitter, and that's it. And just look at huge vegetables. I think this is probably the uh, the point um, of 2020. Uh, Google wants to turn YouTube into QVC. Yeah, maybe they do. I'm okay with it as long as it doesn't infringe on my videos and as long as uh, if I'm watching a video and it turns into an ad all of a sudden and I paid for premium, I will be very upset. But if they manage to separate those two things, which they probably won't, um, then I think it's a good um, counterbalance to how impressively uh, monopolistic Amazon has become. YouTube premium, sub premium subscribers getting a new perk. Uh, yeah, they're going to get a lot of perks, I think, because when you're paying them directly, um, why wouldn't they? Um, they being YouTube in this instance. Uh, searching in Spanish, that's kind of neat. And do voice search to pull up videos when using Chrome as a web browser. Kind of cool. I don't mind typing. Um, and last but not least, uh, yeah, machine learning and Google ads ain't going nowhere. Um, we're going to be able to see trend data. It's kind of cool. See what's going to happen in the future right there in Google ads. And then, yes, performance max campaigns using machine learning to navigate the complexities is smart. Um, there is no human being that can beat um, the best uh, machine learning chess engines that exist on planet Earth right now. So what makes us think advertisers are any different? Ladies and gentlemen, so much, uh, so much fun on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Episode 94. Uh, next week, actually, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. We'll get to episode 99, I think, next week, which is really exciting. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. And we will uh, chat next time. Farewell and goodbye. <laughs>